Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. This is Zach Falconer Barfield, 1PG, co-founder of The Perfect Gentleman, and with me is... James Marwood. Good to see you again, Zach. How are you? I'm very good, sir. Very good indeed. Uh, we're now into April. This is our fourth podcast. Yes. Uh, our fifth podcast, sorry. Fifth, fifth podcast. Yes, spring wow. has sprung. We're motoring on. We're motoring on. The, the clocks have changed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the sunlight is coming through um, occasionally. Yep, my garden's full of frogs and I've been starting to catch up with my gardening. It's great. I'm loving it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's, it's good to have a bit of sun in England as we, we are <laughs> yes. based in England. And as my wife says frequently, um, we miss the golden uh, orb in the sky most of the yes, year yes my my other half summer for, for, from a hot country as well and um the english winters do get a tad depressing but we're past it now sunshine flowers birds singing it's lovely exactly spring is in the air and that's that's a, a good point to start with i suppose we should talk about maybe uh, next episodes or next ne- in may we should talk about spring fashion that'd be good so what has caught your eye let's talk about gentlemanly news what has caught your eye in the last few weeks i saw this absolutely Fantastic article um, that was a, a, a friend of mine on on Facebook linked to, which is um, two men in in South Carolina. Um, so Kenneth Joyner and Raymond Nelson, who work at a, a, an elementary school, and they had uh, so the school's called Meminger Elementary in South Carolina, and they noticed a lot of the the boys in their school were having behavioural issues, self-esteem issues, various bits of, of problems. And these are quite a wide age mix, but young boys, sort of 5 to 11. And so they've started a, a gentleman's club, which is just so fantastic. It's it's called Boys With A Purpose, and they get together every every Wednesday and they learn how to dress well, open doors, shake hands, basic manners and etiquette, and just kind of give them some of the, the impact that these boys who, who don't have fathers in their lives a lot of them or don't have positive male role models show them a, a model of what a gentleman is 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 like um and i was i was reading this and i was i got getting a bit choked up it's like this is so great i love the the way that they've got the um uh the motto they have for their club of of look good feel good do good it's perfect i, I think it's fantastic i saw this as well i think it was mm. just one of those things where i just thought what two fantastic examples of, of of gentlemen showing young men what to do. Just fantastic. So happy that they've done that. Yeah. I think we should instill that in schools around the world. I think so. I, and, and, and I think for, for boys with, without fathers at home or without um, men in their lives, it can be hard. We all need models to, to teach us how to do things. Um, and, and especially when you're young and you're in those formative years, having men who, who say, this is what a... A, a gentleman acts like this is how a gentleman behaves these are good positive attributes brilliant idea i think yes more of that please oh no i love it and, and i love the fact that they're all wearing ties and bow ties and jackets as well it's just lovely they yes. teach them how to tie ties yes it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just as you said i get a little choked up a little emotional with that mm-hmm. one it's just so lovely it is indeed. it's brilliant yeah you are our gentleman kenneth joiner and raymond nelson you are you are certainly gentleman of the month as far as we're concerned Absolutely. Yes, yes. We should try and get in touch with them, let them know. Maybe get them on as a guest. That'd be awesome. So what else has caught your eye? Well, one of the things I, I saw that, that I think you saw as well was uh, this community clothing uh, set up. I don't know if you've, if, if you've seen that. It was, it was a Kickstarter that's just finished. Um, but Patrick Grant, who people in the UK will, will know from the, the BBC Sewing Bee Challenge programmes, is a, 
Owns a tailor in Norton and Sons on Savile Row and also a, a fashion house called Eat Outs. So high-end, high-end stuff. And what he's started is this brand of British-made, high-quality clothing, which is low-cost, but is very much about quality and fair wages for the people making the product. So it's about, it's about craft. Roughly 30 to 40 new jobs come out of this. That looking at the stuff, the, 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 the website, which is um, communityclothing.co.uk, it's, it's all quite casual. You know, there's basic jeans, um, a really cool-looking Harrington jacket, which is a, a casual cotton jacket, uh, wax cotton raincoat. And I think they were talking about bags and things as well coming on. But I think they just... It's, it's really good quality stuff, or looks to be. Um, and the prices are fantastic. You know, a pair of straight-cut salvage jeans, less than 50 quid. You can't go wrong with that. Well, handmade in, in, in Britain, I think that's fantastic. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I read a bit about this in this background, and basically he was saying that it was a supplier that he had who was told him that they were going to go out of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sort of went, no, 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 I'm not going to let that happen. Let's find a a way out of this and and this is how he how he found the way out of it and i think that's fantastic i think that's a really noble thing for him to do considering he you know he's running effectively two businesses and he's frequently on tv here he runs a tv program here called yep. great british sewing bee if i remember correctly yeah that's the that's the one um and you know so he's he's a pretty busy chap and to sort of take time out to sort of basically launch another business is quite fantastic really I, I admire him for that so i think you know well done sir one of the things that's interesting with with Patrick Grant did a did a really cool web TV series. Um, I think now about four or five years ago for Esquire, and it's unfortunately dropped off the Esquire website. Um, so if if anybody can point us to where it's been mirrored or rehosted, I'd really appreciate it. But it was where he went on a tour around the UK, uh, visiting various retailers, so people like um, and manufacturers like Ettinger and Macintosh, and uh, uh, I think they went, they went to visit Breenish, the tweed makers, and people like that. And it was clear he's got a real passion for British style and for British crafts. Um, and it's not all he's not all interested in really high end stuff. He's got a range in, in in Debenhams, which is reasonable. You know, it's it's made in Debenham standard factories. I understand, so it's you know it's it's not as as ethical if you like, but it's it's classic style. Um, but these, I'm really excited for. I would, I could see myself wearing that Harrington in particular on a casual day, something like that. Perfect. Well worth supporting. Yes, indeed, well supporting. indeed. So, do you have any any news for us uh, this week, Zach? Well, yeah, I've, uh, I came across a, a little piece which amused me mm-hmm. by Mick Jagger. Okay. Not Mick Jagger's frequently going to come on our uh, our radar of the podcast, but uh, he is an interesting gentleman and a, and a quite a stylish one. Yes. And, and it was an article in a, I think it was the Telegraph or one of the newspapers, and basically was saying that he um, said that most people don't dress up anymore. Okay. He, he says they don't they don't make an effort anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seeing a bloke not very nice legs in shorts and flip flops uh, going to the theatre. Yes. I mean, he says that's just just awful. Mm-hmm. And he says people do not make an effort anymore. And he's known for his flamboyance dressing. He's a yep. very flamboyant dresser, but he's a very stylishly flamboyant dresser. He's not too outrageously. Uh, look crazy and i think that's an interesting point i think if you mick jagger is telling you <laughs> that people don't dress up enough anymore uh, either whether it's stylishly or with some fun and flair yeah i think you should take notice fun is a, is, is a really important part of it so many 
guys especially dress in the same old boring way you know it's it's jeans and a polo shirt or it's three-quarter shorts and and a t-shirt or it's a plain black suit and white shirt for the office and while those things apart from the three-quarter shorts can look good have some fun play with it have have a sense of occasion even if you aren't wearing um you know like a a suit and a a button-up shirt and and, and tie like like you or i probably would you can still have fun dressing to the occasion I'm surprised, but I find myself in agreement with Mick Jagger. I, I know, it's quite surprising. Yeah. But I, I think he's right. I mean, one of the things, we, well, I'm sure we can talk about this at length and ad nauseum, but I, I do get annoyed when people don't make any effort, especially going to things like the theatre anymore or, or mm-hmm. dinner or something like that. I'm not expecting everyone, as you say, to put on white tie or, or <laughs> put mm-hmm. on a suit, but at least make a little bit of effort. So you, it's a special occasion, especially going to the theatre these days. It's not in a... Uh, cheap experience and it's an expensive no. experience and and you kind of look around and there's lots of people just wearing shorts and flip-flops and maybe this is you know my own cognitive bias but it does seem to be mostly mostly guys i was out in newcastle the other day with my partner we were just going for a for a quick bite but we went past a, a restaurant that had a queue outside and it was obviously you know a big deal um people queuing to get seats and things and the girls were all really well dressed in dresses and and had their hair done and their makeup and they've obviously spent a long time getting ready and then most of the guys were in badly fitting jeans scruffy shoes or trainers and polo shirts and it's just come on guys come on just a little bit of effort hold that thought james because we'll talk about that next week in the romantic gentleman section for for the first date because that is my biggest biggest bugbear i'll swallow down my uh my rant and, and save that for next week <laughs> one slightly unfortunate bit of news that came up recently was this thing with the um the the mk dons footballers at, at cheltenham yes now we have to explain to our uh, to our non-uk listeners what's going on so uh the mk dons are a uh football team so in uk football and america soccer they're a soccer team uh, and cheltenham festival is a horse racing festival uh that happens in the uk so that's our background explanation it's a big deal the cheltenham, the cheltenham festival it's a, it's a big race meeting yes it draws a big crowd and it's generally quite a formal affair you know it's suits and ties dresses that sort of thing yeah you have to be dressed appropriately yes and so a group of these these footballers um young young men got drunk and they're on a on a balcony and they decided that rather than behave like gentlemen they'd urinate into glasses um and then tip them over the side of the of the balcony they were standing on now apparently that was onto onto grass and not onto onto people but they basically were exposing themselves and, and, and urinating in front of a front of a crowd and they've quite rightly been given a bit of a pasting in the press what uh, annoys me about this so, so much is if you're a professional person in a, in a public light and you know that these things are going to happen you will be photographed you will be followed you will be watched carefully you should lead by example and this is certainly not leading by any example that that uh, I can recommend. It's just awful. And then, then they suddenly go and apologise afterwards, saying, oh, it's no, there's no excuse for my be- behaviour and all that sort of stuff. So why do it in the first place? My question is, was the alcohol circumventing their general etiquette and manners or were they just not taught to behave well right from the start? I think it's probably a combination of the two and, and thinking that, as has happened, you know, they can largely 
get away with it. I mean, you know, the clubs have fined them a couple of weeks' wages, um, which is quite a lot of money for, for for us. Probably not for for those. It was one of the players, Carruthers. He was he was suspended by his club for a game, um, which I think is is a reasonable punishment. But it's just disappointing. You don't have to act like yobs. You don't have to act like like thugs and like animals. You can do better. Yeah, absolutely, do better, and and we hope that you do do better. Maybe maybe they should go to the uh, South Carolina Gentlemen's Club. Yeah, maybe we should get those guys to come and do do some work with uh, with footballers. <laughs> Our partners, Hawes and Curtis, are a British brand with more than a hundred years of heritage in tailoring. In 1913, Ralph Hawes and George Frederick Curtis opened their first store in London's Piccadilly Arcade at the corner of German Street, renowned for its resident shirt makers. From the beginning, Hawes and Curtis attracted famous clientele, including the Duke of Windsor, Cary Grant and Fred Astaire, dapper gentlemen all. As a result of Hawes and Curtis's commitment to impeccable service and product excellence, the brand has been awarded four royal warrants. Today, Hawes and Curtis offers extensive menswear and women's wear collections, providing customers with complete looks for a whole variety of occasions. Please head over to their website, www.hawesandcurtis.co.uk. Anything else that caught your eye, James? Well, yes, there is, there is one thing, a happier note. To, to, to lean with. Now, you and I are, are fans of cravats. Ascots, as they are referred to in the US. Yes. And a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, I mentioned a guy called Bruce Boyer, who's an American uh, journalist who writes about about style for uh, well, for various different publications. So, but he was on a, he was on a podcast. Um, There's a really good podcast called Bullseye. It's done by the same chap who does the Put This On blog. Right. So Jesse Thorne is the guy who does it. And the the, the Put This On is, is a great blog. He's, Jesse started it, writes for it occasionally. There are other writers who, who write for it. But especially if you're, if you're interested in dressing well on a budget, fantastic resource. Jesse's a, a public radio host in the US. Um, he does all sorts of things. And one of his podcasts is Bullseye where he gets people on to talk about interesting things. And he had Bruce Boyer on talking about his latest book, uh, Perfect Style. And one of the things that's caused quite a few chuckles in Intel's in is Boyer starts off with with, with, an, with a, a chapter about ascots. So Perfect Style, chapter one, page one, wear a cravat. I love him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's um, he took some ribbing for it. And he did say that he that maybe rather than cravats, he should have said scarves. But I think the point he's making, which is a really important one and really good, is that just by adding a little bit of colour at the neck and a little bit of, of interest at the neck levels up your outfit so much, whether that is a, a tie, a cravat, a scarf, just a neckerchief, something like that. You, know, you want something that's going to draw the, the eye to the face. That's what the whole point of dressing, you know, the whole reason that we have a V at the front of our suit jackets is, is to, 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 to point and to create a platform for people to look at the face. And a, a scarf or a tie or, or a cravat does that does that perfectly. As Bruce points out, you know, the, the whole idea of the French nation is built on the idea of a scarf at the neck. You know, a little, a little bit of cheese, a little bit of wine and scarves. I think you're right. And Nicholas Parsons, I remember the uh, great British broadcaster, he is a frequent cravat and, and scarf wearer, but specifically cravats. And he says, you know, the exposed neck is not attractive. No, it's not. Bruce and he have that idea that, as you say, a little bit of colour, a little bit of flair around the neck is, is really lovely. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, having worn cravats now for many years, the amount of compliments I get on my cravats are quite quite amazing really i enjoy wearing them and 
quite often now I go into client offices where ties aren't the norm and open open collars are and I'll often mix in a, in a cravat just it just helps pet the outfit up a bit it's just a bit of fun but anyway I, th- I think you know if, if you get a chance guys definitely read read Bruce's book on perfect style but but listen to that podcast because it's it's fantastic and he's, he's he's a real fun guy as well um anyone who starts a you know page one chapter one wear a cravat he's all right in my book uh we salute you bruce we salute yes. you. we salute you so that's uh wrapping up our gentlemanly news for this podcast and uh, uh and this initial month of april um so we shall now move on to uh our stylish gentleman section and uh today we're going to talk about two things um one, mm-hmm. it, another thing that you and I are both huge fans of is the pocket square. Yes. And then the other thing, uh, which is another accessory that every gentleman should wear and should use, is a watch. Because um, Basel World is going on currently in, uh, mm-hmm. in Switzerland, or was a couple of weeks ago, um, and that's the home of, of fantastic watches. Uh, and Great watches were there, and uh, we're getting a report in the magazine from mm-hmm. our lovely correspondent and uh, franchisee Paul Ernst and he'll be doing a, a piece on uh, watches for us in the magazine so if you've uh, if you should have picked up the magazine by now and if you haven't uh, go get the magazine and, and you can read that article where's, where's, where's that magazine sir? oh well you can always find it at theperfectgentleman.tv or you, it's available or not through all our social media channels so if you follow us on social media you can find a link to it quite easily and that's the P Gentleman the P Gentleman yes that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and even Pinterest ah splendid okay I need to look more at Pinterest yeah it's a good place so uh, how did you get started in pocket squares? Uh, well, I started. Oh, crikey! It would prob. It was one of the first things I I started doing to improve my outfits, and I probably started wearing them about seven or eight years ago now. And it was it was a result of of starting to read um, blogs online and and getting an understanding for what better style could look like. Um, and then I had a had a conversation with one of my uncles, who's a very uh, stylish chap. Um, and he sent me some of his his pocket squares. He, he he's largely retired. He doesn't he doesn't wear um, suits and things so much now. And he sent me this this fabulous collection of 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 seventies and eighties pocket squares. And they were just they were just great. They were so much fun. It's a really easy and simple way just to upgrade a relatively straightforward outfit. Um, how about yourself, Zach? How did you get started? And like you, it was the first thing I did to uh, to emblazon an outfit. Um, I, I probably got started on them in my late teens because mm-hmm. um, I always like wearing suits. So when I started wearing suits probably when I was about 19 and got into wearing suits then and I would try and wear suits at every occasion um, I possibly could. Uh, I didn't always wear ties then and I wanted to zhuzh up the, the suits and pocket squares were it. And I kind of just ever since have been the guy in the pocket with the pocket squares and i have a ridiculous collection of them always hunting for them i find them in strange places and unusual places and it's one of those things that i'm always drawn to i go into any <laughs> gentleman's outfitters of any description and pretty much the first thing i go for is pocket squares so i go and have a look what they've got and oh i haven't got that color or um i like that style or oh that would go with uh, my sort of color schemes at the moment and that's actually one of the things i like about a pocket square i mean for a start we don't we don't get as men especially dressing dressing formally or traditionally we don't get a lot of opportunities to wear interesting colors but a, a choice of a pocket square 
with a tie just gives you a couple of opportunities to, to, to add in some interesting colour and a bit of visual flair to your to your outfit. Um, and it makes it so much easier to coordinate. You know, from, from a simple white linen pocket square all the way up to a, you know, I've got a, a, a very aggressively pink one that I quite often wear when I'm when I when I know I'm going to be having a, a frank exchange of views in the office, say in a in, in a big <laughs> meeting, um, and that's my 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 going to war uh, pocket square. <laughs> it's there's just so much fun, and you can do it very very cheaply. It's basically just a small square of of cotton or linen or silk or whatever. In in fact, I saw on. Um, uh, GQ do some do some videos. They've got a little video channel on uh, on the Apple TV, and they put some some, some on their website. And they had um, some designers um, talking about the new thing of the pocket square. This isn't a new <laughs> thing, guys. It's 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 not a new thing. You're you're catching up. But but what was quite interesting was they had they had one guy who'd done it with a um, a bandana, and it looked great. It was you know just a a, a paisley patterned simple print bandana. Um, tucked in his in, in his top pocket, and it was a really nice juxtaposition to the to the smart classic suit he was wearing. I thought that was that was really well done. As far as I'm aware, there's no actual definite history of pocket squares, unless you're going to correct me. But uh, it was it was a handkerchief that was put in the top pocket, if I remember correctly. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think you know handkerchiefs, if you like, as things that you carry around. My understanding is that you've got... I'm going to mispronounce this horribly, <laughs> but the Kunsthorisches Museum in Vienna right. has some some limestone that's engraved with Keti and Senate, who were, who were ancient Egyptian uh, rulers, with what appear to be handkerchiefs or pocket squares, probably made of, of, of linen. So that's about 2,000 years... BC. Pocket squares are not a new thing. Not a new thing, GQ. <laughs> hey guys. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, and you also had um, in Rome, gladiators, the signal for them to fight was a dropped handkerchief. But really, I think the modern handkerchief in the pocket, I think is really in a 19th century thing, about the same time as, as the suit. Silk linen or, or cotton in your left or breast pocket. I remember it being made even more established by that great... Uh, dapper British royal uh, Duke of Windsor at the time. And he wore a lot of very stylish things, ascots and cravats being one of them, but the other thing was pocket squares. He was a great fan of, of, of pattern and of, of adding pattern into into outfits, especially if you're not experienced wearing or mixing patterns of pocket squares, a good way to to start. Assuming that we've, we've persuaded people and they're going to start wearing pocket squares, how should they start, Zach? What's the... What are the what are the guidelines? Well, there are two schools of thought on the pocket square, mm. and and I I come down on either one. I'm not a, a draconian as some people are yep. on the on the rules of pocket squares, um, folding them and, and how you put them in the pocket. We can discuss in a second, but the rules generally are one of two: you either match your pocket square to your tie, which is a very American thing to do, mm-hmm. um, and originated mostly in, in that uh, that that side of the pond, um, or you contrast your pocket square to your tie, but you don't contrast it so it's uh, too much difference. Mm-hmm. You don't want to affect the balance of the, the colours and the pockets and the, uh, and the tie and the, and the suit, so you don't want to go too wildly different. Uh, and those are the two sort of schools of thought. I have a habit of, of uh, as you well know, um, making everything uh, tonally correct. So my tie and my pocket square are generally in the same tonal bracket and my socks and all my other accoutrements are in that way as well. So uh, I have a thing for that, but um, that's just me. Yes. <laughs> but yes. 
but you can you can use lots of different things and if you don't wear a tie you can do any pocket square you like that that's kind of the nice thing about it you can just put a pocket square in of any description i i tend to to shy away from matching the matching the tie and pocket square i don't think it it's a great look i think it looks a little bit too studied a little bit too matchy matchy but the trick i found is to have similar colors going through the outfit so say for example i've got a gray flannel suit that i wear quite often i'll normally wear that with a, a just slightly off white um shirt like a, a, a light cream or ivory shirt and then quite often i've got a, a, a bottle green knit tie so very plain almost no pattern but i've just really got three colors going on and then with that i can use a, a, a pocket square that, that calls out has a little bit of ivory in it or a little bit of green or I can use something that will that will complement the the green and the ivory, like a yellow um, or a, or a burnt orange. So playing with those colours can give me a different effect and suit my mood on on any given day. And I can choose, you know, flannel's quite a rough material, a knitted tie is quite a rough material. I can complement that by using a, a a a wool or a linen pocket square that is quite rough textured. Or I can contrast against it by using silk or satin. And it just gives me quite a lot to, to play with. That's why I like pocket squares so much. There's so much to experiment. That's the interesting thing. There's actually knowing the sartorial rules means that you can break them. Absolutely. As we've said before. And knowing how to break them is the key thing. I mean, if you, you're confident enough to wear them, you, you can get away with it. I've seen some quite jarringly disassociated pocket squares to mm-hmm. the rest of the outfit. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But at least they've given it a shot and they've they've tried it you know as long as you're you're wearing a pocket square mm-hmm. <laughs> that that enhances your outfit i think that's go for it just just try try it out see what happens you might find a pocket square that you love uh, i have a friend of mine um who uh wears only one pocket square yep fair that's enough. all he wears <laughs> yeah it's, it was his grandfather's his grandfather gave it to him um no matter what suit and he generally doesn't wear a tie he's usually in shirts but no matter what suit he's on it's the same pocket square perfect I think there's a lot to be said for plain linen pocket squares, uh, you know, plain white or or, or, or grey, especially cream. But likewise, I've got some great ones that are either brightly coloured or or patterned. Do you know the chaps at Rampley? I've got a, a lovely pocket square of theirs. Great. I don't know if they're a, if they're a sponsor. They should be if they <laughs> aren't. Um, but they make lovely pocket squares. But what's really nice is they do prints of art. So either things from the National Gallery, the Wallace. Um, I think they've got some wildlife, like bird prints, things like that. They do stuff in tweed. Really interesting, unusual patterns and colours that you wouldn't see elsewhere. And even though you're, you know, it's just picking out a little bit of the pocket, you know it's there. Whereas everybody else is in their their boring black suits and their badly tied ties, and you've got, I don't know, flowers on the fountain with a peacock. Uh, from the Wallace <laughs> collection, in, hidden in your hidden in your pocket, and just peeping out and giving a little bit of a a little bit of a titivation to your outfit. It's great. I I love stuff like that. Oh no, I'm I'm a big fan of pocket squares and mm. anything. Oh, and some unusual ones. I've got some great ones. And as you say, you know it, and you can show it. You know, you can yeah. you can pull them out and show it. Yes. Um, so I have a couple of tips and tricks cool. for for pocket square wearers. Mm-hmm. Um, so the easiest way to fold your pocket square. It's the most. It is the simplest way to put your pocket square in your pocket, uh, is to just fluff it up basically. So basically, you make your hand into a uh, sort of a loose fist. So there's a hole between your thumb and forefinger. Put your pocket square over the top of it, and then just pull it through the centre of that hole. Mm-hmm. 
and then fold that in half. Yes. And then you can either put it with the non-edges uh, up, so the looking bouffant, or you can just turn it around and put the edges up so it looks like a splayed flower. And that is the simplest way to, to fold a pocket square and put it in your pocket. There are many, many other complex ways to do it. Um, the other trick, which I learned from a uh, stylist friend of mine, mm-hmm. is to get that straight-edged pocket square. Yep. Okay. Is a three by five card. Yes. Yes. So get an, uh, uh, what they call index cards or three by five cards. Yep. Um, and fold your pocket square around the three by five card. Yes. Put that into your into your pocket. It gives you the straight edge along the top, and no one knows because the three by five cards are generally white, so you can't see anything underneath. And there you go. You've got a straight edged uh, pocket square that isn't going to drop. That's the sort of the madman presidential fold. That very sharp mid-century American look. Yeah, it looks it looks great on the the puff kind of you know putting up through your, through your hand and having that buff on top of the, um, the points up. A really good video for that, surprisingly, is episode one of Are You Being Served which is a early 1960s <laughs> British sitcom set in a department store. It's on YouTube. You can go and find it. It's in black and white. But one of the young salesmen gets taken to task for not wearing his pocket square correctly. Captain Peacock, the, the, the man in charge of the department, shows him how to do it properly. And even though it's a comedy show and, and Captain Peacock's a ridiculous character, he knows his pocket squares. So if you can't get it from, from Zach's description, go and look at that video. Well, And also we will be doing, uh, we'll do a Periscope oh, brilliant. on pocket squares uh, in a couple of weeks' time. So stay tuned to our social media channels. Uh, we do our uh, Periscopes generally between sort of 5 and 7 p.m. UK time. Uh, on a Monday from style ones so check it out we will uh, we will let you know when we're going to do it probably be in a couple of weeks time uh, but we will do a, a pocket square special uh, where I will sort of show various different pocket squares we show you how to uh, to fold them up cool uh, look forward to that Zach that'd be great podcast is good but we've got to demonstrate as well it, it's style is a visual medium so you can read about it you can hear about it but you've really got to see it absolutely and then, then at some point in the future I, I'm trying to figure out with a colleague of mine, about designing a uh, pocket square storage system. Ah. Because that's the one thing that hasn't yet to be conquered. That's right. I mean, I, I have two ways. I have, I, have, I have a lot of pocket squares, much like, much like you. I tend to buy them when I go into a new, a new shop. My colourful and most used ones live in a, a storm lantern like a big glass bowl that's about 18 inches high and they're kind of they're, they're just scrunched up and, and, and put in there and then the rest live in boxes in my study. But you're right, there isn't a good storage system. I have an idea for one and I'm working on it. When it's ready to be tested, you just keep me in mind. Oh, of course, sir. No, you'll be my first guinea pig. Splendid. Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese-please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all, the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. And so watches then? Yes, watches. Another great accessory for a gentleman. And what's interesting, someone recently said to me, um, 
well, why do you wear a watch? Do you have a mobile phone? Yeah. And I went, because mm, I don't actually look at my mobile phone all the time for the time. Um, and also a watch is a nice accessory. You know, I grew up probably very much like yourself before the age of mobile phones mm-hmm. where you wore a watch so you could tell the time. I, I still have a habit of wearing watches. I can't get away from it. Um, but also it's a very nice accessory. We, we talked a, a couple of weeks ago about the, the sort of our, our taste in watches, but it's another opportunity to add a little bit of visual flair and a little bit of personality to an outfit. And you, you do get chaps who, who spend huge sums of money on um, on watches. And, and, and I know friends of mine who've, who've, who've done that, but you don't necessarily need to do that to get something stylish. In just something that's that that speaks to you that you like to wear and that you can you can play with so whether that's a, a very fine formal watch for going out whether it's a you know maybe something a little bit more bulky or more or more robust for when you're when you're in casual clothes or or, or you're going to the pub with the with your pals it it really varies you can do so much with with simple watches yeah absolutely and, and you should have a a couple of them and then uh, that go with different outfits. I think I have four watches. Um, yeah. Uh, but bizarrely, the one that gets the most compliments mm. is a twenty-year-old Swatch. Yeah, I can I can well imagine. It's 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 a black leather strapped Swatch, mm-hmm. but it's a twenty-year-old Swatch, and it's the one that always gets the most compliments. It's not the most expensive watch I have. It's not not the grandest watch I have um, by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, but it's the one that always hands down gets the most compliments i can well believe it a friend of mine milo who collects sort of 50s 60s mechanical watches and he gets some really fantastic and unusual looking things that none of them are very expensive but i've seen him wearing things like 70s mechanical watches from from eastern europe or um unusual straps on 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 very traditional watches and things like that and it really unique and nobody else would have something like that and nobody else would would do something it it, it tells the time they keep they, they keep good time they look they look great but they also have a little bit of interest and a little bit of um of, of a chance for you to show your personality most often at the moment i actually wear an apple watch which i really like because for the same reason if, where i don't want to use my phone to tell the time if i'm with someone and i'm in a if uh, in a meeting or I'm in an office or I'm, I'm I'm with clients I don't want to be pulling out my telephone to look to, to look at the time or to check something but I can have a quick glance at my watch much more discreet and also is much less of a signal that I'm I'm not listening to you, you know, if, I, if I take my phone out and look at it you're probably going to trail off in your conversation because <laughs> I'm showing actually I'm just bored of what you're saying now and I'm going to be very rude and look at my phone whereas if I just quickly glance at my at my watch that's much more acceptable and much easier to do and I can do that with a with a smartwatch I can do it and, and see if I've got an email or if I've got something I need to take care of but also I can do it just as a really quick way of checking the time but you're going to wear a, a, a traditional watch a, a mechanical uh, a smartwatch don't overlook that aspect of them, that, that ability to, to help you um, get information, check the time, things like that, without making those around you feel like you, you would rather be elsewhere. It's that kind of thing of not blatantly staring at your watch, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but no, I think, I think it, it is a great accessory um, and it's one of those things that does show personality, like a pocket square, like a, a tie or a cravat. It's a, it does express who you are as a, as a guy and we tend to, uh, as guys, not have that many levels of expression in our sartorial uh, world. 
so you know having a good watch that stands out and make and you you like and are happy with and that's a really good thing i think I, I, you know some of the guys i listen to their uh, podcasts of who are not at all stylish guys you know some some guys in the in, in the tech world and yet they they've got into watches because of the of the craft and of the um of the interest that's involved with them it's a nice thing when you've when you've got a watch and you and you can see and understand a little of how it works and the the effort that's gone into it and the the craft that's involved in making something like that even if it's a you know an, an inexpensive mass produced watch like i have a, a scargan watch that i wear quite often i get a lot of compliments on that and has a, a millennies loop bracelet which is sort of like like interlinked chains um very fine so it feels almost like like cloth but it's it's made of steel and i just find that fascinating to look at and just how how that something like that can be made and made so soft and articulate but it's made from metal and it's strong and it's robust it's fantastic i can quite easily go down a rabbit hole with watches and, and <laughs> spend far too much time on them. But I, I agree with you. It's craftsmanship. It's skill. It's it's mm. those kind of things. And there's some lovely watches out there and some great British brands such mm-hmm. as Bremont, which make fantastic watches. Indeed, uh, high quality, very expensive, but beautiful pieces. Uh, and then you know you can go right down to as we sort of said, Fossil or Swatch or there's loads of sort of reasonably priced pieces that you can wear and i think that you know what suits your style what suits your character and what suits your the situation that you're going into but don't just you know buy one watch and wear it for all occasions have a couple Mm. switch them around get get another one down the line switch them out have fun with them enjoy quick question pocket watches do you think they'll ever make a comeback i would like them to i mean i do wear pocket watches sometimes um i wear them when i'm wearing my my three-piece suit or i have a um a leather strap that i got from a from a chap down in chiselhurst that is designed to go into your into your lapel button and have the watch be worn in your in in your breast pocket which is a a very sort of old-fashioned thing but i i wear that with tweed quite often because i think it's just a it's it's a bit interesting and a bit fun I don't think they'll ever really come back as a as, as a mass market thing, um, but they are fun. I have I, I own a couple of pocket watches. I like them too. I think I think as you say, they, they sort of they do make you stand out, especially in a three piece, and yes. people notice them, and, and it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an affectation, but I think it's a nice thing. No, I, sadly, I think it will be one of those things that will be uh, just for us. Uh, aficionados and and dandies occasionally it's not an everyday an everyday thing but when i've got a a, a waistcoat on and i'm going to a, a, a dinner or a function if i'm wearing evening wear for example that's when i'll normally wear one yeah no this goes very well with that so uh please check out our paul ernst article on uh, uh watches he talks a bit about a guide to watches, but also a bit about Baselworld. Uh, it's in our magazine, which is out this week. So please do check that out. Um, and uh, we're kind of now going to head off to uh, uh, our groomed gentleman section, where uh, I th- was interviewing um, the wonderful chaps from Thomas Clipper. Oh, big fan. Big fan of theirs. So uh, they're a British grooming product company, yeah. specifically shaving products, um, and they make some very interesting things. They they do a lot of their stuff through uh, crowdfunding sources, mm-hmm. um, so it's very interesting. So I'm gonna we shall speak to them and and see what they have to say about themselves. Welcome to the groomed gentleman section. I'm Zach Faulkner Barfield, and this month we are talking to Thomas Clipper, the gentleman behind Thomas Clipper, which is a grooming brand, does um, 
straight blade, double-edged blade razors uh, and other wonderful uh, products. So I had the opportunity to meet up with uh, Matt and Antonio, the founders of Thomas Clipper, uh, recently. And uh, we ended up having a conversation in a uh, very noisy coffee shop uh, where I uh, asked them a little bit about the brand and what they're up to. But also I asked them our 10 gentlemanly questions. So I do hope you enjoy our little interview with Matt and Antonio. And I first asked them, what inspired them to start Thomas Clipper? So, so we founded Thomas Clipper initially to try and bring you know, better design and better craftsmanship to men's morning. So, so that started out with our first product, which is the uh, double-edged razors that we make still, um, and are now in Portland and Mason um, after being kick-started. Um, but then it continued with the handmade bowls and, and brushes that we make, um, and we'll you know, continue to be making these, these products that we think are going to be bringing an element of really nice design and really nice craftsmanship into men's mornings. Mm. And, then, and then from a personal perspective, I think there are sort of three things spring to mind about how we felt when we were just sort of starting early doors 18 months ago. One was you know, we both had and continue to have very busy sort of other jobs and the ability to take time out over things that sort of matter about yourself, about your person was really appealing and obviously shaving and grooming is an important part of that. So one is sort of taking things slow to enjoy things better. Um, the second was just an excitement about making something tangible, so not you know, getting out of the world of hypotheticals and spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides and making something real and, and solid. Um, and thirdly, you know, based on that something tangible, we wanted to make something that's going to last generations that you can pass down, that's sustainable. Um, and that's really exciting, the idea that you know we're only fleeting parts of history and uh, hopefully we can make something that goes through generations. So then I asked Matt and Antonio, what products are they working on next? What's their next thing? Well, we've, we've just got back from uh, Florence, uh, and uh, Florence is well known for its wonderful, you know, world-leading leather goods. So unsurprisingly, there's something in that exciting area. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're um, well, actually, we probably should rewind a bit. We, we asked the customers that we had, and we asked the Kickstarter backers that we had what they wanted us to make next. Um, and they gave us a lot of really interesting feedback. One of the things that was consistently um, mentioned was that people were looking for a wash bag to put all their shaving gear and, and, and all, all of the stuff they'd already got from us. So, so that's that's what we've designed. It's it's a Tuscan leather wash bag. It follows the same kind of um, same kind of philosophy as our other products in that it's not really a, a gimmicky thing. You know, it's not. It's it's a very simple, clean, modern-looking bag, but it's handmade. Um, it's tanned in Tuscany too, so it's you know, it's it's a uh, product with integrity in its sourcing. Um, yeah, so that's what we're making. We're going to launch it on Kickstarter in May. That sounds like a really fantastic product, guys. Uh, we, of course, naturally here will support you. Let us know when it goes live, and we shall put a notice out on the podcast. And I uh, hope everyone around the world will support you. Uh, we ask our ten gentlemanly questions. So here we go. First up, so what makes or embodies a gentleman for you? Making people feel at ease. Yes, as, as, Tony, <laughs> as Tony mentions, Tony's laughing because that's what I said probably five minutes ago. Well, so I was I, thinking I'm, it. I'm dubbing him in. Um, but yeah, I think, that's, I think that's, the, that's the key of it, is um, letting people relax around you and not... not um, I, I think that's what all of the other little things, whether it's opening the door for somebody or, or 
dressing appropriately or speaking appropriately for the occasion, not not swearing in front of your grandma is, is the same thing as holding open the door, you know, it's just trying to make people feel at ease in, in this rather hectic and complicated world we live in. Um, obviously we have a tendency to, to talk a bit, so I'll, I'll add something in as well, so I completely agree with that, and... Um, <laughs> I also think there's the important bit that it's in the eye of the beholder. So uh, you can behave however you think is right, but actually it's how other people perceive you as to whether you're actually a gentleman. And so always having that in mind is very important. But I don't think being a gentleman is wearing a top hat or, or being... A, you know, but there's nothing wrong with wearing a top hat. I'm getting a horrible look now. I remember the last time we wore a top hat. No, but I don't think it's 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 a fluid thing. Yeah. I think being a gentleman in, in one place um, might look and sound very different to being a gentleman in another place, but the, the thing that ties it together is that respect. Yeah. Wonderful, the gentleman saying our key words for us. So then I asked, uh, what's the most romantic thing you've ever done? I do think... Um, that the way that I proposed probably to, to my wife um, was probably the answer to that. Um, because I think with, with romance, there needs to be a degree of, like, of surprise to it. Um, and we'd never talked about marriage before. Um, I proposed, it was a complete surprise. Um, the circumstances of it as well, I'd like to think, were reasonably romantic on a, on a night train and, and, you know, in a sleeper cabin and all, all that sort of stuff. So that's... So now you can't do your proposal. Fine. So there you go. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, my, my now wife, uh, before we ever started going out, it must be about 10 years ago, I tried to woo her and I uh, found out who... So she was studying English literature. I found out who her favourite author was. It happened to be Anthony Trollope. So I Drove all the way to Hebden Bridge, which, given that I'm uh, from Bradford, isn't actually that far, but it sounds more dramatic than it is, <laughs> to get an original uh, edition, uh, sort of a, a painted lithograph of um, Barchester Towers, and I gave that to her as a present. If you could bring one gentlemanly trait into business, what would it be? Um, under, uh, understanding, putting a focus on how other people perceive you as the priority. <laughs> we're, we're obsessed with giving our customers a really, really good product. That's what drives us. When our suppliers understand that, that's wonderful. That's, and they usually do, that's why we work with them. So, but but um, yeah, I think that actually is the same answer, really. I then asked them a question, which I think I knew the answer was going to be, which is, what element of grooming is most important for you? I mean, it's shaving. <laughs> okay, so snap. I then asked to them to name an iconic gentleman, which they happily did. Uh, do you count? Very flattering gentleman, but I pushed them for uh, an iconic gentleman. Uh, this is a cheat answer. But my um, my granddad was a was a fantastic gentleman, um, and he wasn't you know a, a, an aristocratic character. And he and, and again, this is why I think the, the the way you dress and the way you talk actually aren't that that sort of pivotal to, to being a gentleman. But extremely respectable, very very um, caring character. Um, so yeah, he, he's my chap. I have an unhealthy habit of developing a sort of false idols, largely for humour, but they're to you know, learn from their mistakes. And my hero, you know, 
Jose Mourinho and Frank Lampard, it's not really going to cut it. Uh, but I'll say that just cause, so I have consistency across what I say. So after that debate, I asked them what their most important item in their wardrobe is. Uh, my unstructured blazers. It's my shoe. I think, I think shoes are very important. And then I asked the classic question, why should there be more gentlemen in the world? If we're talking globally, I think a lot of the problems that happen in the world are due to misunderstandings, due to people not taking the time to understand each other. And that... That comes down to the respect to listening to other people and understanding where they're coming from. If that happened more, I think we would see a lot more um, cohesion and a lot more happiness. So then I asked, what key skill should every young gentleman be taught? I mean, I don't know whether it's a virtue to be so sort of uh, militantly consistent in this point about empathy and understanding other people's perspectives, but I I think it's... um, uh, So I think it is that empathetic approach or perspective, um, and I think that gets easier I'd like to think or at least my own personal experience has been you get more aware of that as you get older um, and you think the world's about you when you're younger so it's probably more important to do it when you're younger than when you're slightly developing in your life experiences and I think another another sort of to build on that a little bit is we live in quite a disposable culture when it comes to when it comes to culture and, and, and products and, and you know, it's, it's a disposable culture that we live in now. To understand the um, effort that goes into making things whether that's art or whether that's a physical product that you get in and really value that rather than you know, just take it for granted I think is really important and I, th- I think that is happening a little bit you know, you see movements like the Kickstarter movement where all the videos you see on Kickstarter show you in detail how this product has been made, show you the passion that goes into it. Um, I think that's really important. So another easy question, I think, for these gentlemen. <clears throat> I asked them, what should a gentleman never be without? A Thomas Cabaraiser. <laughs> a Thomas Cabaraiser is a very strong start, yeah. A strong start, but really, you know, that's only half a gentleman. They need a, a wash bag and heritage sh- shave set as well. <laughs> and then I asked them to finish the classic last question sentence. A gentleman should always... Respect other people. Listen to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. (laughs) What a lovely, cheeky answer there, and I totally agree they should listen to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. Thank you, Matt and Antonio. That was fantastic, and um, I'm looking forward to a a proper, longer conversation, maybe with some video next time, and we can do a proper uh, main interview with you both, though you've answered our tendently questions so beautifully well. Anyway, back to the main thrust of the podcast, along with James and myself. So that was the uh, very interesting Thomas Clipper chaps. And uh, if you want more, then please check out our magazine or we will have shot a little video, which will be on our uh, YouTube channel next week. Fantastic. Have a look at that uh, and our interview with them will be on there too. I've been listening to the the Thomas Clipper podcast, uh, Coming Clean, they call it, for a few weeks now. The the little short podcasts and it's, um, they have some really interesting bits in there. They they did a a, a very interesting um, thing about leather care with one of the chaps in the Jaunty Flaneur and they've they've done bits talking about how they've um, sourced suppliers and, and manufacturers for some of their some of their products. So, no, I, I'm a big fan. Antonio and Matt, the guys from 
from from from Thomas Clipper, the good guys. I, I, I prove. Yeah, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, so we move on from an, one interview to another interview. Cool. So, our, our main interview this month uh, of April is with the uh, founders of Cravat Club. Ah, splendid. I got an opportunity to chat with them about um, how they founded the company, how they got involved, how they make such wonderful products, um, and why they believe cravats should come back. Uh, we've talked a lot about cravats this this podcast already so we should give them a little bit more airtime i think what do you think james absolutely let's go for it this month we are talking to the founders of the cravat club on a gentleman talks our interview section with ladies and gentlemen which talks about what inspires them and how they came about with their products and services perhaps and anything else that comes to mind and we always end with our 10 gentlemanly questions so I take a trip down to Woking in Surrey uh, to meet the founders of the Cravat Club, who have been uh, I've been fans of since they first started, and I have a number of their cravats, and you will see me talk about them on our videos as well. So I took a trip down to Woking on a nice sunny day in England and uh, sat outside in a cafe um, and uh, proceeded to ask them lots of interesting questions about what they got up to. So I got to interview Julian and Jenny. Um, apologies for some of the sound. We had a lovely screaming child at one point so do enjoy your part one of your interview with julian jenny from the cravat club <laughs> welcome to uh, uh, gentleman talks with the founders of the cravat club lovely to have you thanks for having us okay. oh, pleasure. <laughs> pleasure. so it's just lovely conversation that's all we do at the gentleman talks okay mm-hmm. so it's just a nice conversation about life liberty the pursuit of happiness and gentlemanliness that's oh, basically right. what we talk about <laughs> okay. so um uh, please introduce yourselves and a little bit about you and your backgrounds. Oh, okay, Julian, oh. do you want to go first? Okay, um, I'm Julian Spencer Smith. Uh, I I started the Cravat Club business uh, a few years ago, um, and this is Jennifer. Jenny. I'm Jenny. <laughs> um, I'm a director for Cravat Club, and I joined Julian's venture and kind of took it over a little bit. Uh, More than a little bit. More than a little bit. Now I'm running the business. (laughs) But it's all Julian's idea, like original, so he's the founder. The founder and the inspiration. Mm. Yes. That's the easy bit, actually. Sometimes it's it's quite... It's it's easy to have an idea Mm. and maybe even start it, but then nothing very much happened until Jenny came along and... uh, made it all work yes. so yeah to carry it through isn't it yes so what made you start the cravat club well I used to wear a cravat when I was in my early 20s and it was in fashion for a very short time then it seemed to disappear and my father used to always wear a cravat so yeah I'm, I'm familiar with the idea and I, I just thought that it should come back Mm. I just had this beer in my bonnet that the the fashion should uh, build up again, really, because um, chaps not wearing ties so much. And And there's an obvious niche, you know, literally a a place... A missing hole. Like, there is a gap, isn't there? Yes. (laughs) Gap in the market. Yeah, so it's become a bit of a mission, really. Yeah, to yeah, no, it's a good mission to have. I admire the mission, and, 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 and I'm a big fan of you and the cravats in uh, general. So oh, great. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. So, uh, and Jenny, how did you get involved with the cravats? Um, well, basically, I thought I'd just help out Julian on the kind of web side because obviously he's not really in touch with 
I'm not in touch with most things, really. (laughs) More of a technophobe, I guess. All all the things I should know about, I didn't really. I just had the idea. So yeah, the initial thing was just to help out a little bit, and then obviously Mm. I got really into it, and I realised that cravats do look really good on men. And I think the way if men are a bit more self-conscious and a bit, you know, dress more, put more effort into the way they dress, I think that's really important. Um, It's just nice to look at. It's a nice like presentation, isn't it? That's all it it's about like first impressions and um i think mm. just a well-dressed man's you know should be there should be more in england i there think especially <laughs> men in england that's for sure mm-hmm. but what was your background before you got involved with the um well i i went to uni and i did uh, business management and also um i've had like experience in textiles as well um a level but uh be honest I went to Japan for five years was teaching English so it was something completely different completely different uh, like field really for me but um, I've always been into kind of fashion and, and uh, especially living in Japan people dress really well over there especially that the men they dress so well it's completely different coming back to England I just thought why is everybody so you know <laughs> why is everybody dressed yeah exactly in their pajamas still or, mm. yeah it's just uh you know, it does make you realise that people it would be nicer if, especially men, would put a bit more effort into the way they look. Because I think it's very attractive for, from a woman's perspective. So. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think we, we talk about that all the time, saying that guys sort of forget that. Mm. That, you know, they need to make as much effort as ladies. Yes, you completely. Know, ladies think about the way they present mm. themselves mm. most of the time. Mm. You know, whereas guys tend not to. Mm. I mean, it's mm. quite easy to see that pretty much every day every time we're around they think they can get away with it and like um, obviously even going out or something it's like they get more and more casually dressed it's kind of they think they can get away with anything really it's just uh... (laughs) it's one of my bugbears I I, I have this thing where I I, I actually talk about it in the podcast um, uh, with James and I sort of the thing that got one of the things that started me on The Perfect Gentleman was that I'd watched couples who are obviously out on a date, a mm. very early date, first mm. or second date, mm. and the lady's dressed up and she must have spent, you know, a good couple of hours thinking about what she's going to wear mm. and dressed up and the guy looks like he's fallen off the couch on <laughs> you know, in jeans and a t-shirt and tatty mm. trainers mm. and you're like, you're on a date, mm. respect the date, mm. you know, just make a little bit and of it. And it's amazing mm. when, when you go to a, a good class restaurant and the chap still you know, haven't made that much effort mm. these days. They might wear a jacket. But, yeah. But it's usually, like, only if there's a strict dress code, it seems mm. like they'd only, like, adhere to it. But if it's not, it's like, just see what they can get away with almost, mm. isn't it? Mm. So, so, yeah. It's quite nice to have that cravat just to lift, you know, the yeah. jacket and open shirt look, even if they want to wear jeans, you know, it just sort of mm. pulls it all together, you, doesn't it? Also, oh, another thing, I think you instantly respect that person. If they're dressed well, then you instantly think highly of them. Because if someone who's not, you know, a bit more on the casual, kind of sloppy yeah. side, then you kind of instantly, you know, it's a different kind of opinion of that person, I guess. No, uh, I think that's true. Yeah. The way you dress, we talk about all the time, yeah. the way you dress has an instant effect on mm. people. People tend to think about you very quickly in certain ways. By yeah. The way you dress. They treat you differently, mm. I think. So, so the inspiration, so the inspiration of Cat Club with you and your your, your father. Mm-hmm. So, and Jenny comes along and, and, and kind of <laughs> takes it to yeah, establishes it a, a bit a more. Different level. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so you've been going what, 
three, four years? Well, no, no. It's probably been like officially it's been two years, so two and a half years, I think. So we kind of said officially it's established in 2014, but 2013 was when I obviously started working on your website yeah, and so, so on. But it's just um, 2014 is when we felt that this was Cravat Club. Yeah, officially. officially. Yeah. yeah, and well, had its okay, own identity, really. And company, yeah. Um, what's that? 2014. 2014 yeah, February. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. so, so only two years into going so far. Yeah. Two years. Yeah, it's two years. So. Mm, well, it's... Um, a bit of a change isn't there from, yes, the, from how it, it first started <laughs> yeah I'm just very impatient so <laughs> I want things to happen quickly yes. whereas Julian's more to, like kind of more horizontal <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, so, so. yeah. <laughs> so it's a good thing we got Jenny to push things on yeah things on, now yeah. we've uh, sold to over 40 countries so since I started anyway mm, so mm. Um, and what's your biggest market um, of course, it's the UK, but outside the UK, it's the US. The US is like we've got so many orders from them, haven't we? Mm. So yeah. yeah, the US, of Canada, Australia, and then a lot of European countries as well, like France and Italy and Spain, and uh, yeah, could go on really. And what do you find the age demographic for? It's quite wide because obviously the way I'm marketing it is um, more with the kind of younger twist to it, rather than being too oldie worldy I wanted to make it a bit more upbeat and to appeal to like a younger generation the reason is is because obviously I want younger men to kind of think about the way they dress yeah and um, so our market ranges from men in their 20s to men in their 90s so it's, that is how wide our market is Nicholas Parsons <laughs> the great <laughs> the <tree>. yeah <laughs> yes yes yeah he's one of us <laughs> so yeah, and then, and then, so when you did consciously chose to target the younger market, is that to expand the market? Or do you think? Yeah, because I think even older chaps, they would, it wouldn't like deter them from buying a cravat just because it's got we got a younger model, you know, modelling the cravat. I think it's uh, not an issue at all. So, mm. you know, and I think it's good to try and make it a bit more edgier, a bit kind of, you know, to show that cravats are cool, not just for the older gentlemen <laughs> so. <laughs> so and what inspires your designs because your designs are fantastic you have a bot wide range um, of designs and you have limited edition runs and yes yeah I'm just I'm, I quite like lots of different things I like variety and um, I'm very fickle because I like lots of different things so I think it's nice to have a, a nice uh, range of designs just to suit everybody because obviously the market's so wide you know some for the more classic gentlemen and some for the more you know a bit more adventurous and you know I think it's good to have variety so rather than be very limited with our selection yeah. I think it works well because we end up with uh, repeat buyers who just keep coming back for more and more which is nice they get a massive collection of mm. our cravats so and you use your <laughs> Japanese experience oh yeah for the pocket squares and, and also the cravats as well mm. and um, yeah so it's mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, Abby, and, and do you work? Do you just have the set designers you work with, or do you just kind of go, oh, I, I like your stuff? Do you want to do? Yeah, work with um, certain designers, and then also we also get um, things from the archives from the silk mills as well, and use them. But like, obviously, with different colorways and so on, and like slightly tweaking it. So, 
that's how we do. <laughs> I, I apologise up front for the, uh, for the interesting screaming noise. Throwing a tantrum. <laughs> in, in our, in our, we thought we'd go outside for a lovely sunny day and yeah. we were disturbed by screaming yeah. children. Yeah. Hopefully he'll <laughs> calm down. <so. laughs> we can but hope. Yeah. So what 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 did so Junior, what inspires your I mean, do you think yourself as a fashionable, trendy guy? No, not at all, no. <laughs> <laughs> um I mean I I will it's not, it, I feel it feels good to actually dress up a bit if I'm, you know, out for a special occasion. Um in my everyday life perhaps I probably don't wear a cravat and a jacket, but um no, it's it's nice. I don't know, everyone comments, comments when I'm wearing a cravat, if I go to a social function, um, yeah, you get noticed and it, it just, it lifts your spirits a bit, it makes mm. you feel good. It's nice to get a compliment, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, so, yes. Yeah. Yes. Every time I, uh, oh, seems to be moved on with but uh, uh, every time I wear it, I always get compliments. So, so every time mm. I wear a cravat, it's, it's one of those things mm. that people just go, oh, oh, this is really, what is this? And yeah. especially the younger generation, they don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a lot of the don't. So. What a cravat is. And, uh, yeah. I'm personally not, so I don't like to draw attention to myself. But it, You're it's, not a flashy it's, dresser. No, it's, but it's something I feel, you know, it feels right and comfortable and... But on the other hand, it is... It is different. It's making a it, statement, yeah, I suppose. It and, um, makes you stand out from the yeah, rest, yeah, so... I feel, feel good about them. Yeah. No, no, I like, yeah. I love it. I think it's mm. great. Mm. Uh, and I know that we we started the cravat Friday trend. And it <laughs> yes. Seems to keep going. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I try and make sure that I'm wearing one today. But I try and make sure every Friday, if I'm stepping out, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a cravat. And oh. Oh, go, great. Oh, really? Yes. Right. You should say, didn't you know, it's Cravat Friday. Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Julian Jenny, and we look forward to uh, finishing this interview with you in a couple of weeks' time. Elliott Rhodes is the foremost belt brand that seeks to make people see belts in a whole new way and to show them that a great belt is imperative to dressing with style and individuality. With four stores, three in London and one in Japan, Elliott Rhodes belts are bespoke and innovative. They create beautiful luxury leather belts and buckles in a wide variety of colours and textures and styles. They suit all tastes. Check them out at elliotrhodes.com. So there were the lovely founders of Cravat Club, uh, cravatclub.com, fantastic guys. And uh, we uh, wholeheartedly support them in what they do and making the world more cravatty. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, I mean, I mean, Julian, the guy who the guy who found it is such just such a lovely guy, um, and so passionate about what he does, and he does make really good cravats. Oh, they do! They're lovely cravats. Jen, Jenny and Julian are fantastic people, and and I've been fans of them for for since they started, really. And I, I'm, I'm proud wearer. I, th- I think I've probably got about uh, half a dozen or so of their cravats in my in my wardrobe behind me. I love them. So uh, that wraps up um, this this first podcast of April. Oh, it's flown by. It's flown by, yeah. Okay. It has. I feel like we've uh, we've been rattling on about all different subjects this week. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, I got in my soapbox a little bit, but no, it's a lot <laughs> of fun. And I did enjoy those interviews with the Cravat Club guys and, and, and Tom's Clipper. Lots of fun. Lots of fun, and we'll, we'll be doing more of that as we go forward in the in the m- months to come and the weeks to come. So stay tuned to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. Uh, so today it's goodbye from me. I'm Zach Falconer-Barfield, co-founder of The Perfect Gentleman, and it's goodbye from... Uh, James Marwood, thanks for your time, guys, and we'll speak soon. (music) 
I understand that, that, that in the US, um, matching pocket square and, and tie is more acceptable, just like it is wearing dinner suits for daytime wedding occasions, tuxedos. It just never quite looks right to me. I know it's 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 prescriptive and fuddy duddy, but it just no. I do one of two things. So I either match. Um, I don't match it exactly, so yeah. I never try and get exactly the same. That's you know, the secret, not, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's not exactly the same uh, color tie and pocket square, but if it, you know, for example, I've got a a burnt orange tie, mm. uh, which has got blue stripes in it, and some days I'll put a blue pocket square would match the stripes or some days I'll get a, uh, 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 a burnt orange which is slightly off it's not the same orange slightly darker as the pocket square so it's in the same ballpark it's not exactly the same it's very rare that I'll go exactly the same I think what you're describing there sounds sounds perfect to me the bit that I would hope people would steer clear from are things like the, the matching time pocket square sets no I, I don't have any of those if, if you want to buy those because you like the pattern by all means buy them but just don't wear them together hmm it just doesn't look doesn't look great. I think there's a lot to be said for for just picking up a little bit of visual interest in your in your in your suit rather than your shirt or your tie with a pocket square. Either something that contrasts or just juices it up a bit. Or or just go for straight white. I mean, just go yeah, for a really yeah. nice white silk yeah. uh, or satin pocket mm-hmm. square. Mm-hmm. I mean, that because that really kind of does make an outfit look good. I tend to wear linen more than more than silk. That's more more a personal preference. I like plain white or plain grey or plain cream. And those mm. are the, probably the three that I wear most often, especially grey. If you get a nice light grey um, linen or cotton pocket square, it goes with so much stuff. And it's surprising how how effective it is. Yeah, especially if you do that um, very straight American Mad Men style yeah. uh, fold yes. for your pocket square. It, it tends to work really well. It's weird. I, I, I More linen, I have more... Silk and satin. I think mm. think majority of mine are silk and satin. I tend to wear linen and cotton summer. Yeah, um, yeah. When, when, when I have my uh, linen and cotton suits, I tend to put put the linen and cotton pocket squares in. So yeah, that makes no, that makes that, that makes sense. And, and I, I wear I wear silk quite often, and I do have I have quite a few um, cotton ones. I have some. Um, I think it's rayon, or it's a kind of synthetic fabric. Um, Mm. That, that's like some vintage 1950s Japanese rayon um, that I got from the the um, the put this on shop on Etsy um, a little while ago, and they're they're great. And I have a couple of of wool ones in in cashmere, which I quite often wear in in winter, which I think go great with a with a tweed jacket or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's but you can I mean playing with texture is is. As much fun as playing with playing with color, I think. Oh no, absolutely! And also, yeah. I tend to find things that are quite unusual. I mean, I picked up a couple of pocket squares um, before Rampley. I picked up mm-hmm. a couple of pocket squares. Well, they weren't pocket squares; they were silk ladies' handkerchiefs from. Oh, okay. um, uh, I think it was the uh, the Met in in the US oh, Metropolitan Museum yeah. of Art, mm-hmm. and they, you know, the, lots of those museums will have printed um, silk pocket square or not pocket square some handkerchiefs or scarves or something like that and you can get the small scarves or small hank uh small that's a great handkerchiefs. idea and i use them as pocket squares so i mean you know that it's, it's it's thinking a little bit outside the box mm. but i love the colors there was one there's a beautiful um picture and it's just the colors were fantastic and mm-hmm. and that's kind of my go-to weekend pocket square so whenever i'm not wearing a tie and three-piece suited um I, you know and i'm wandering around with a jacket i'll i'll throw that in my, as my pocket square because it's got so many bright colours. 
That's uh, yeah. I think that's a really good idea. I've seen I've seen people line um, line suit jackets with with lady scarves, but using them as as as, as pocket squares are a great idea. Um, and actually, my my other half quite often steals my cravats to to put in her hair or tie around a bag or something to to do that. So quite often, if I can't find a particular cravat, it'll be in her in her workroom because she's she's stolen it to to keep her hair out of her eyes while she's working. <laughs> How many pocket squares do you own? You think? I mean, I probably haven't counted them recently. Oh, uh, if it was under two fifty, I'd be surprised. Yeah, I've 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 a ridiculous number. You you have double the amount I have. Bear in mind, most of mine are, are I've got an awful lot which are of, of of poor quality that rarely see the light of day and actually probably should go off to be recycled. Um, <laughs> in in terms of ones that get regularly worn, there's a couple of dozen that depending on the season that get regularly worn. Um, I tend to rely on a few faithful ones when I'm travelling that are. Um, have a good mix of colours and patterns in the design, so you can change exactly what is shown mm. by by moving it around. Um, which I think is a, is, is a handy tip if you are living out a suitcase. Even if, you, if you're doing like I do, where you're travelling for three, four weeks at a time, and you don't want to take too much stuff, you can take three or four differently patterned and coloured pocket squares and get a lot from them. Uh, I think that's great, a great, great tip, great tip. Well, I'm I'm now off to uh, des- to go back and design my pocket square storage system. Excellent, so, uh... good, good. <laughs> I don't want to hold you from that because I want to see what this looks like. So great, <laughs> good, great speaking to you, my friend, and we'll speak again soon next week. Speak, speak again next week. Take care, my friend. Goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by the Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.